0: 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to do two standalone messages for the next two Sundays before we start a new series uh, on May uh, 14th from the book of Hebrews. But uh, before we do that, I've got two standalone messages, and one of them is one of my favorite passages of scripture on the healing of Naaman the Syrian. And I hope that you will keep the spirit of worship that Nicole and her team created here this morning and especially be mindful of the words of the songs that we sang this morning because they are so appropriate and they go along so well with the message of this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture in the first 19 verses of 2 Kings chapter 5 deal with the essence of encountering God. You and I as human beings were created by God to encounter Him, to experience Him, to enjoy Him, to have a living, breathing connection with Him. And that's what this passage is all about. It's about the essence of how you and I as human beings, or anyone, encounters the one and only and true living God. The other thing that folks obviously focus on in this passage is a miracle that we just sang about. The healing of this man from Syria. But what I want us to see this morning is that there are so many more miracles taking place in this passage than just the physical healing of leprosy of this great man from Syria. All along in this man's life, he is putting the right people in the right places at the right time to draw this man not only to a healing from him, but to a understanding of him, to a knowledge of him whereby there can be a relationship with him, whereby he can encounter God, he can experience God, he can enjoy this God. And I say all that because so often we focus on, say, the physical miracle and we forget that all that God is doing that really is a miraculous thing behind the scenes. All the people that he's using, all the circumstances that he's orchestrating to bring one man and not a man from the covenant community of Israel. Not somebody from the chosen people, but outside of that, a Syrian He's doing all of this to bring one man to an encounter with him. And I say that to give you courage and to encourage you this morning. Because that same God is doing the same thing today. He is orchestrating your life and my life and our family and friends' lives and our coworkers and people that we go to school with. He is always doing miraculous things because a miracle is simply th- things that are happening that you and I could never do on our own. It is beyond our capacity to do. It is all about the hand of God at work. And we see that throughout this passage of Scripture. And I hope that as we open this up this morning, that you will also begin to maybe even recognize this in your own life. That the miracles that God does in our life isn't just maybe the physical healings that he brings about or even that time of salvation in someone's life. But there's so many other aspects to God's miraculous power at work in our lives and in the lives of our family and friends. We begin this morning by being introduced in verse 1 to this Naaman the Syrian. He's a great man. Uh, Really, he is the second most powerful man in the country of Syria. Only the king of Syria at this time has more power. We are introduced to him as the commander of the Syrian army. He's been given great victories. He has everything. He has power. He has prestige. He has position. But he's also got... Something else. The Bible says he has this incurable skin disease that I believe was leprosy. Something that was even not just incurable in Naaman's day, but something that was very shameful. Here's a man who has everything the world and a person in the world could have everything. And yet he's got something. He's got something that sort of destroys his designer life, if you will. It reminds us that all of us, as human beings, we've got something. We can try to create our designer life and make it just absolutely perfect, everything in place. But there will always, always be something, either from inside our life or acting upon us outside of our life, that in a sense destroys our designer life. Something that we want to get rid of, something that we want taken care of, something that we want out of the way, something that, that is a challenge, is an obstacle. And here's this man who has everything and yet he's got something. And all of us here today, we have come. And maybe our life for the most part is really good, but there's something, something there in our life that if we could change it, we would. If we would turn it around, we would. We would. If it wasn't there, oh my, you know, all of those things. Well, Naaman had that same thing. And yet in verse 2, we are introduced to this young captive slave girl from Israel. Because when Syria went in to invade Israel, and the reason that they were in such a weakened condition, meaning Israel, was because they had become a nation of idolaters. They had rejected the one true and living God, and they became filled with idols. And therefore, because of their weakened condition, just like many times in their history, God would allow these foreign nations to come in and oppress them in some way, again, not to ultimately defeat these people, but to bring them back to him, to bring them back to 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 reality, to what was really important and that really at the end of the day, it's all about their relationship with him. So the Syrians are allowed by the Lord to go in and get this victory over Israel. And there, obviously, they take several slaves back to Syria with them, one of them being this dynamic young girl. She would have been a mere teenager at this point. I want to just take a few minutes, though, to, to sort of prop her up, if you will. And not to just pass by her. She's an amazing young girl. And she's really the first uh, link in this chain. That God is using to get Naaman. To have an encounter with him. Instead of this young girl. Being stripped and ripped from her country. And her family. And thrown into this situation. Where now we are told in verse 2. That she is the servant girl. Of Naaman and his wife. In Syria. Instead of her... You know, becoming bitter and angry with God and saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? It is very much in the text that she must have been a a dynamic servant for them. She must have lived in such a way that the reality and the evidence and the power of God was always pulsating through her life. The reason I say that is even in her words to Naaman's wife, she says when she finds out that Naaman, her master, has this skin disease, she said, oh, if only my master were present with the prophet of God in Samaria, I know that he would be healed and cured of this terrible disease. Notice her words are bearing testimony to the power of her Lord. And unlike maybe many of us in that same situation, it wasn't like when she heard that this man who was really instrumental in tearing her from her family and friends, making her a slave in a foreign country, it wasn't like when she heard that, she said what many of us maybe would have said at that time. Well, he's just getting what he deserves. That's what karma is, baby. This guy that came into my homeland and took me from my family and friends... He's just getting what he deserves. Good for him. May he suffer. No. That wasn't her attitude at all. She had a love that was again only could be there by God and her walk with God for her master Naaman and his wife. And so she is put in this strategic place by God so that Naaman could begin to hear about this God And eventually to encounter him. The next sort of strong link in the chain is Naaman's wife. Who again, because of the credibility and integrity and character of this young girl. When she said this, Naaman's wife sort of perked up and was like, I'm going to pass that information on to my husband. I mean, again, what's the chances of that? She's a slave girl. What does she know? Well, she must have known something. Her life must have said something to Naaman and his wife because when she did say that, Naaman's wife just didn't let that pass by. Naaman's wife said, I'm going to talk to my husband about that. And so we see that he, she now is passing on this information about this prophet in Samaria to Naaman. Well, when Naaman gets the news again, This girl must have so impressed him that when he hears this, he goes to the king of Syria and says, King, here's what this young girl said. If I could just get to this prophet in Samaria, I could be healed of this dreaded leprosy that has come into my life. And and I would be okay. And so the king of Syria, obviously, this is his right-hand man. This is a man that secured for him many victories on the battlefield. This is an invaluable man in Syria. He's like all for it. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to go through the proper political channels. I'm going to send a letter to the king of Israel, and I'm going to set you up. You go. You get healed. So we see again the links in the chain, starting with this young girl, then Naaman's wife, now the king of Syria. But then we start to see a little bit of a weak link in the chain. And it's Naaman himself. It reminds us that many times the greatest obstacle of us encountering God, experiencing God, and enjoying God is us. We, many times, are the greatest obstacle of that. Not not anybody else, not anything else. It's us. And obviously, Naaman only knows a certain way to look at things. So the Bible says that Naaman begins to gather up all of his riches and resources and all of these things because he thinks in his mind that I'm going to pay for this. All of my wealth and all of my power and all of my prestige and all of my position and everything, I'm going to take, because this is this is how it works, right, in this world. it's If you have all this, it will secure you all this. But he didn't realize that the healing that he really needed, which was his soul being healed, and the physical healing that he was going to eventually get, could not be bought by any earthly wealth, no matter how much it was. And yet he takes it with him. And the Bible says that when the king of Israel gets this letter from the king of Syria, he is angry, he's upset, he begins to rip his robes, and he's like, am I God? Do these people think I can heal this man? I can't do that. Maybe they're trying to provide some excuse for coming in and invading the nation of Israel once again. Now here's the king of Israel. The one that's supposed to know God above everybody else. The one who's supposed to be the example for everybody else in the nation. And here's a great example of the unbelief in Israel that started from the very top. The king of Israel doesn't even know this God. Because it wasn't like he was actually going to heal him anyway. But he should have known the God who could heal. The God who could bring healing and salvation. And yet he's all upset. Why? Because he has no relationship with God. He's had no encounter or experience or enjoyment of God in his life. And yet he's the king of Israel. How sad of a spiritual state Israel has gotten to. And yet the prophet... Elisha, the Bible says, when he hears about this man who's searching and seeking for healing, he says, hey, send him to me. Because I want him to know that there is a prophet in Israel, meaning a faithful representative of God in Israel. Why? Because it wasn't about drawing him, meaning Naaman, to Elisha. It was about drawing this man Naaman, who was searching and seeking, to his God. And he wanted this man to see the reality and the power of his God. And he knew that his God could and would heal this man. Now also see something else at this point. Here's another strong link in the chain. And a couple things here. You'll notice that in God's way of working, in the miracles that he's doing, all behind the scenes that many times we're not even aware of, God is using all these different people. He's using a young slave girl. He's using Naaman's wife. He's using the king of Syria. He's using Elisha. All as strong links in the chain. And what I want us to see at this point is all of us are links in a chain. We're not the chain. God doesn't expect us to be the chain to have all the answers, but he expects us to be that link in the chain out there with people connecting to God. Are we a strong link or a weak link? Obviously, the weak links at this point are Naaman himself and the king of Israel. But what I want us to see is that God is not stopped by the weak links. He will accomplish what he sets out to do regardless of the weak links in the chain because God can overcome all things. He is the God of miracles. And part of his miraculous power is he's not going to let people who aren't on board with his plan stop his plan, you see. And that's part of his miracle-working power. So the Bible says that when... Naaman gets the invitation. He brings his entourage to, to Elisha's house there in Samaria. And, he, and you can imagine it. I mean, again, this guy's the second most powerful man in Syria. You want to talk about an entourage. He makes some of these hip-hop performers that have entourages look really small. Yeah, he's got it all. He's got this train going behind him. And he sit, stands in front of the, of the door of Elisha as if, I've arrived and now god begins to humble naaman because one of the things that that we see in order to have an encounter with god is that you and i have to be willing to lay aside our pride we've also got to lay aside the illusion of self-sufficiency because that's something else that naaman is learning is that i'm not self-sufficient i don't have all the answers I don't have all the resources. And none of us do as human beings. No matter how much we think that in and of ourselves, we've got, or even others, all of us got what it takes on our own. None of us do. It's an illusion. And God keeps trying to get human beings to that place. where It's like, you're not self-sufficient, right? You, You realize that. You need me. And you need others, too. So he had to lay aside his self-sufficiency. He's going to have to lay aside his pride. So the Bible says Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. Elisha sends a messenger, one of his servants, to talk to Naaman. This would have been an insult to Naaman. Don't you know who I am? I am the second most powerful man in Syria. You ever had someone sort of come across to you like that? I've had him here at the church. Even, in, even here at the Oasis over the seven and a half years we've existed. I've had people who come, who've come in and literally, this is what one man said don't you know who I am? Well, I'm sorry. And so he sends this messenger out and he says, you want to be healed? Here's what you do. You go down to the Jordan River and you dip seven times and you'll be healed. And guess what the Bible says? Naaman became very angry at that response. Why? Why? Why was he angry at that response? Well, first of all, he was looking for a miracle that would enhance him. He was expecting Elisha to come out and put on this show and, you know, wave his arms around everything, you know, be healed, and that somehow it would be this great show, and somehow Naaman would be put on display. That's not how God works. And the Bible says that, that Naaman had even sort of written God's script for him. You ever done that? The Bible goes on to say, Naaman said, well, I thought it would go down this way. I I, I thought it would happen this way. And that's the way many times it is with us. We sort of write out the script for God and say, okay, God, you approve, right? You rubber stamp that. That's the way I want it done. And that was Naaman. And so he became very angry at that. What God is doing is... He's humbling Naaman's pride. He is reversing Naaman's expectations. And he's going to trample all over Naaman's broad-mindedness. Why do I say that? Because then Naaman goes, Well, I've got three or four rivers back in Syria that are cleaner and, and better water than this river Jordan. It's dirty. Wouldn't it have been okay for me to wash back there? Why did I have to come here? Because God said that was the river. It might not make sense, but that's the one God said. Just like today, many people still think there are many ways to heaven, right? There are many ways to a relationship with God, right? No, God tramples all over our broad-mindedness and says, there's only one way, Jesus Christ. And he's open to anybody that wants him. The offer of salvation is available to anyone on the planet, but you got to come my way. And when you and I want an encounter and an experience and an enjoyment of God, we've got to get rid of our self-sufficiency, we've got to lay down our pride, and we've got to just simply obey God in His very narrow requests, whether we understand it or not. God said, this is the way I want it done. I want you through his prophet to go to the Jordan River, not another river, the Jordan River. And I don't want you to dip one time. I don't want you to dip two times. I want you to dip seven times. And if you do exactly what God says, you will be healed. See, today we have this problem, even with followers of Jesus Christ. Somehow we think That we're going to encounter and experience and enjoy and be blessed by God by somehow doing this Christian life the way we want to do it rather than the way God clearly prescribed it to be done. Somehow we think we're not going to reap what we sow and if we don't sow the things that God tells us to sow, somehow we're still going to come out with an abundant harvest. And so many Christians are disappointed right now with the emptiness and void in their lives because somehow it's like, but I'm a Christian, but we're still trying to do the Christian life our way rather than the prescribed way that God said to do it. Just like Naaman. But I love this next strong link in the chain. We see the courage and wisdom of Naaman's servants, who, by the way, took their own life in their hands at this point. When they say, uh, master, uh, if, if this guy, this prophet would have told you to do something difficult, you'd have done it. So why not do what he's telling you to do? Because it's pretty simple. In fact, that's, that's exactly what it was. It was simple. It was attainable. It was safe. Go to the Jordan River, dip yourself seven times. There's nothing really exerting about that. It's just a matter of faith and trust in the word of God that comes through his prophet. I started to think about that. And again, it just reminded me of, you know, it'd be like, again, not that this really happened, but if Elisha would have said to Naaman, Naaman, go out and slay a dragon. And if you bring the dragon back to me, you'll be healed. Or go and get the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West and bring it back to me and you'll be here. In other words, they're saying, if he would have said, you know, go crawl on your knees for five miles, you would have done. And that's the way many people are. It's like, again, I want to do something so that I get the credit for it. I want to do something that I can earn. I, I don't want God to, to get the glory for it. I want to get the glory for it. So they said, Why don't you just do what he's told you to do? And the Bible says that Naaman went down into the Jordan River as the prophet spoke. Notice it wasn't to please even his servants. Because if we do things to please people, again, we will not encounter and experience and enjoy God. But if we follow the word of God and do things His way, then we will begin to encounter and experience and enjoy our God. We've got to, again, lay aside the illusion of self-sufficiency. We've got to get rid of our pride. And we've got to be obedient. To obey is better than sacrifice. And that's what began to bring the great change in Naaman's life. He went down into the Jordan and obviously there's a picture there there's even that humbling of Naaman as he went down why because remember to get into the Jordan River he had to do what he had to lay aside all the symbols of His earthly greatness. He had to lay aside all of His rank and medals and all these things, all this pomp and circumstance that would have been on His person. He had to lay all of that aside and go naked into that Jordan River to be healed. And there's a picture there for us. That when you and I come to God and we want to encounter Him and experience Him and enjoy Him, we got to lay aside all of our self-righteousness. And all the earthly stuff. And say, God, I'm coming to seek you. I'm coming to do this your way, not my way. And the Bible says that after Naaman obeyed the word of the Lord through the prophet Elisha, he came up out of the Jordan River after dipping seven times, and his skin was completely clean and clear. You know what I think? You know one of the best smells in the world? The smell of a newborn baby. That skin has that, you know. I think Naaman was probably the only adult who ever smelled like that. When he came up out of that Jordan River and God healed him of this skin disease and basically gave him a new coat of skin. Amazing. What a healing. What a miracle. Yeah, it is a great miracle. But again, don't miss all the miracles along the way. Don't miss God had that young slave girl. Oh, just happened to be in Naaman's household. Working for Naaman's wife. And then to have Naaman's wife. And the king of Syria. An ungodly pagan king. And Elisha. And the servants of Naaman all as part of these links in the chain to bring Naaman to this place where he would not only be physically healed, but where he would be spiritually healed. You say, well, Jeff, how do you know that this man, that, that this was more than just a physical healing? I want you to note in the, in the verses that follow his healing up through verse 19, the evidences that there was more than a physical healing here. I want to give you five of them this morning. The first is, Naaman has a new grasp of truth. When he comes up out of the water and his entourage and him goes back to Samaria, to Elisha, he says to them, now I know that your God is the one and only true God. That's more than just a physical healing. He's had a spiritual encounter with the God of Israel. He has now a new grasp of truth. The light bulb went on. And how did it all come about? When he laid aside his self-sufficiency, got rid of his pride, and began to obey the word of the Lord. But there's a second evidence that he had a true spiritual encounter with God and not just a physical one. And that's in his generosity. Notice he says, I want to bring you a gift. It was all about now giving and not receiving anymore. And you see that right away in Naaman's life. When God enters a person's life and we begin to encounter and experience and enjoy God, we realize the grace that brings about it all and the gifts that God has given and is giving us. And therefore, it creates in us this heart of generosity of wanting to give and realizing it's more blessed to give than to receive. Third, you see a growing humility here. Because now notice that Naaman, though he was offended earlier, that Elisha would not even come out of his house to greet him, that now Naaman says, please allow your servant. Your servant. Think of it. The second most powerful man in Syria, the one who's conquered Israel with his armies, is now saying, I'm your servant, Elisha. He is beginning to see the great rank of Elisha, spiritually speaking. And he says, I'm your servant. That's a growing humility. Then fourth, we see a longing to worship God. Why do we say that? Because notice his request is that Elisha would allow him to take some dirt back to Syria. What's the significance of the dirt? In those days, if I took dirt back from here, then I could take it back to my home and I could literally use that dirt as sort of the ground zero of where I worship God, where me and God connect, where I worship this one only and true God. And so he has a great longing and desire to take that dirt back because he wants to now begin to live a life of worship to the God who healed him and brought about this spiritual understanding in his life and finally the fifth thing that we see here is that Naaman has a new awareness and sensitivity to spiritual things why do we say that because Naaman says to to Elisha Elisha please forgive me but as part of my duties as the second most powerful man to the king of Syria, I've got to go into this temple of this false god a couple times a year. And it's just all part of the, again, the pomp and circumstance of being in this state position. He says, you've got to understand, I don't believe in this god. But, but I don't know what else to do. It, it's, it's not something I can really detach myself from at this point because of my position. And I love what Elisha says to him. He says go in peace don't sweat it god knows your heart and by the way especially for an unbeliever much less for a christian god understands that our growth is progressive and you and i and especially an unbeliever cannot cut the knot of our old life all at once sometimes the things that we have been doing that are compromising to our faith They have to be laid aside little by little. So he said, Naaman, don't sweat it. In time, if if you really feel still convicted by going into that temple, God will somehow be able to give you the wisdom and the strength and the courage and all that to work that out with your king. But for right now, just go in peace. Enjoy your God. Experience your God. Encounter your God, because do you know that God loved you so much that he orchestrated all of these miraculous events and put all of these links in this chain to bring you to a place with him? And again, my friends, if God did that for Naaman the Syrian, God still does that for you and I today. And He's still doing that for our family and friends. There is no length that God will not go to to draw people and bring people to Him. And even today, some of you are here at this church. You are at the Oasis, and you could look back on your life, and you could say, I can begin to see the hand of God of how God brought me to this place. How God got me here right now. I can see it now. And it's all the hand of God. It is a bunch of miracles in my life that God brought me here. But in closing this morning, I want to go back to that act of Naaman's healing. He went down into the Jordan and he was healed. And I want to remind all of us today that our God is always available to bring healing into our life. You may be here this morning and maybe you're in need of physical healing, and God may want to physically heal you today. He's the God of miracles. Maybe you're here today and you're in need of emotional healing. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. And you have been carrying the scars of emotional hurt for many, many months or years. God can bring healing and wholeness to your life today. He's available. Maybe you're here and you need spiritual healing. There is, for some reason, a hole in your soul. And you need God to close that up and bring wholeness and spiritual healing to your life. Our God is always available for healing. Will you come to Him for whatever healing and wholeness you need today? He has brought you here to this place to hear this message this morning. Will you respond to Him? Let's stand as we pray. God, I ask You today that You would take this message of Naaman the Syrian. And God, that you would use it in our lives to draw us to you. God, maybe we've come here very self-sufficient and we need to lay that aside. Maybe we've come here too proudful, too much pride in our life, and we need to lay that aside. Maybe we just simply need to be obedient. But we have learned very clearly today, these are the things that are necessary if we truly want to have an encounter with the living God. If we want to experience you, if we want to enjoy you, these are the things that must happen in our lives. But God, you're always, always available for healing in our lives. And maybe today, there's someone here that you want to heal, heal physically, just like Naaman. Maybe there's someone here today that you want to heal their emotions, God. Maybe there's someone here today that they need spiritual healing. I pray today that God, as your call goes out to us, that we would respond and be obedient. Maybe some of you would like to come here this morning at the front of the auditorium and just meet with God. Maybe even have someone pray with you. You come, if the Spirit of God is leading you to come, as we sing, take my life, God, and let it be.